Now, before we dive into our recap from last week, just want to give everyone a heads up. I'm going to try to structure this a little bit differently. I want to give this more of a narrative structure to it rather than simply me reading off of my Google Docs notes and telling you what happened. I think this might be a little bit fun, gives a better picture in our minds of what's going on, and, you know, I just want to have some more fun with this. So let's see what happens. What do you do when someone important to you dies? How do you honor them? That's a question we're going to grapple with today. Now, in case you've forgotten, last time our band of misfit adventurers succeeded in overpaying for everything, burning almost every bridge that, every bridge that they had made in Renault Keep, and nearly dying while defending a silk caravan against a group of marauding orcs and ogres. Except for Dane Ironfist. He died for real. Now, at this point, you know, the, gr the, the group and the caravan, they're out here in the, on the street. They've got lots of bodies of orcs, ogres, you know, blood, viscera everywhere. It's a mess. Naturally, being good citizens, they decide, okay, we should probably clean some of this up. Because they're thoughtful travelers. They don't believe in littering. Even when it comes to body parts of monsters that just tried to kill them. So they go through. They, you know, they move out, clear out the bodies so the road's clear. And they finally, when they're done with that, they gather around the body of poor Dane Iron Fist, who's very clearly dead. Now, they're trying to figure out what to do with him. He hasn't started to stink yet, because he, he's pretty freshly dead. But they know it's just a matter of time. Now, Cecil, he does some checking, and he determines that their compatriot is only mostly dead. Not, not totally dead, just mostly. And he says that if they can get to, to Port Azureth, within the next few days, they should be able to track down a cleric that can perform a resurrection spell on him, bring him back to life, good as new. However, Vashid says Ironfist might not want to be resurrected at all, and they should probably, you know, l l check with him first before bringing him back to life after he's just been killed nobly defending a caravan of, of silk people. Now, fortunately, clerics are also adept at speaking with the dead. You know, they hold a little seance, you get some weird stuff going on, but they can get they can get Iron Fist to, to talk a little bit with them. So they you know they discuss a little bit more, but the three of them decide that doing a seance would be the right thing to do here, and to see if Iron Fist even wants to come back, because he might not want to, despite his quest to find out more about his father, who his mom probably most likely lied about just to make him feel better and special as a you know as a little little dwarf tyke with a single mom. Yeah. Now there's also a letter, uh, sorry, there's also a matter of a letter that they found on the body of the lead orc as they were cleaning things up. This letter contained details about a stone masonry shipment coming from Renault Keep that this band of beasts were supposed to take care of in a few days. It also specified that a mercenary captain wearing plate mail armor with ivory decorations on it would assist them. Uh, the letter was addressed to Captain Mayer, but obviously since all the monsters are dead, they don't know if any of them or none of them were, was this captain. Uh, Cecil, Moonstar, and Vashid, you know, they discuss it some more, but the, they come to a couple conclusions that, you know, one, they don't have the numbers to split up and, ha and send somebody back to Renault Keep and keep their caravan safe. And two, they figure, well, we've already killed all the bad guys here, so, you know, the stone mason shipment should be just fine. I mean, yes, it kind of sucks that they're stuck with a scuzzy mercenary captain that might want to kill them all, but without, you know, a horde of monsters coming out of the trees, 
they'll probably be okay. Now, the Merry Band, they continue on their way. Uh, the next day or two of journeying, no real issues. I mean, just the usual pit stops you have to make on it, you know, while you're cross, going cross-country there. Now, as they get within about a day's distance of Port Azuwith, uh they start to see that more and more people are heading away from it. They're coming, you know, going opposite the caravan and, and our party here. And they start to notice that, you know, you got people from across all walks of life, rich, poor, young, old, doesn't matter. You've got every every kind of person from every level of society on the road here, all booking it away from where our party's heading. Moonstar, being the more observant one out of, out of everybody there, flags one of them down. And this man tells him that a plague has descended upon Port Azuwith. Uh, you know, it broke out about two weeks ago, but the city only really started breaking down just in the last two days. Uh, the parliament, the constabulary, the churches, you know, they're doing what they can to maintain order. But this is the kind of plague that you get sick and then you start going crazy. Uh, you know, anyone with a look of sense is leaving the city and they're not looking back. Now, naturally, this this doesn't this kind of news does not fill, you know, Cecil or Vashit or Moonstar with with a whole lot of confidence about where they're going. Uh, you know, they're not too interested in going into uh, into Plague Town. However, the caravan leaders they've got a job to do. You know, diseases break out in cities all the time. Some are worse than others, but this isn't really anything new for them. As long as they keep to themselves and make a beeline for the docks, they can get their ship loaded fast enough and hit the water towards Cap Capbrook that they won't have to worry about the plague. So they're going, and you know whether or not you know uh, the the party wants to go with them. And now Cecil Moonstar Vashid, they huddle up, you know they talk it out. Again, none of them are really interested in going, you know, heading, you know, straight into a plague, you know, a town of plague. But they did make a deal with Dallin to escort his caravan all the way to, all the way to Port Azuwith. Uh, Cecil points out, you know, they don't exactly have a whole lot of people back in Renal Keep who like them anymore, so it's probably not the best idea for them to burn down another bridge if they if they don't have to. Uh, plus, Azuwith is also the home of Brenneth Dor Doran and the and his ship, the Lady's Heart, the one that was transporting the 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 Wanti back, uh, from from Renal Keep, and you know, this is their best lead on that. Uh, and, of course, there's also the small matter of the, the dwarf corpse that, that they've got in one of the wagons there that's, be, you know, not, not a, you know, just being honest here, it's getting stinkier by the day. And they're kind of getting sick of it already. Uh, so if they're going to attempt this resurrection of Dane Ironfist, they're going to need to get into a city, into a cleric, and fast. Or, you know, then they can at least do something with the body so they can get rid of it. Uh, so, the you know, after talking down for a few more minutes, the party, they decide, you know what, you know, we're going to, you know, let's finish this. Let's get the caravan all the way to Port Azuwith, And, you know, let's, uh, let's go from there. And so uh, they decide to keep going. And thankfully, since traffic is heading in the opposite direction, uh, they're able to make really good time and they get to the city the next day. When they arrive at the city the next day, they find that it's a pretty beautiful day, as long as you can get past the hordes of people that are fleeing the place. Uh, the city guards are running around like crazy. They're just trying to keep order, well, some semblance of order as best they can. Uh, people are running, tripping over each other, fighting, quarreling. It's, it's pretty much chaos. Now, when they meet the caravan, the guards, that is, they're actually pretty surprised to see somebody wanting to get into the place. Uh, 
it's pretty obvious that this is kind of unusual, you know, people trying to get in instead of trying to get out. Uh, the caravan's just given a cursory, uh, you know, uh, look over, evaluation, whatever the procedure is, and then they're allowed to proceed through the city gates. Once inside, they find that what they thought was chaos outside was a nice, you know, picnic in the afternoon compared to the sheer pandemonium that's gripped the interior of the city. Everyone's in a panic, you know, this plague is driving everyone crazy. Now, the only people that are not actively trying to find, find a way out of Port Azurewith, well, they kind of fall into three camps. One, you have the idealists, who are hoping to save the city somehow. Two, you have the faithful, who are trusting in their gods to save them. And three, the nihilists, you, you know, the people who just want to see the world burn. Now, fortunately, the caravan leader, he's been there, he's been to Port Azurewith before, he knows where he's going. He leads the way, gets the caravan to the main port without an incident. A ship is quickly chartered for Catbrook, and with plans made to leave by the end of the day, and the caravan workers aid set to work getting the silk shipment on board as quickly as possible. The caravan leader, he pays Cecil, Moonstar, and Vashit for their work, and he even throws in an extra bonus for their spirited defense along the way. Uh, he does offer them a spot in the ship, you know, feeling grateful to, uh, for them for their work, and you know, not wanting them to die of plague you know, in a plague city. Uh, they're pretty grateful, but they tell him that they do have a few errands they have to take care of before they can go anywhere. Uh, for, first and foremost among said errands is securing a wheelbarrow and dumping Dane Ironfist's lifeless corpse into it. On their way out of the port there, uh, they spot Doc Master, wave him down, and they start, yeah, I guess you could call it interrogating him. <laughs> you know, they, they need some intelligence about the place because well, one, they're all sorely lock, lacking in intelligence for their own personal selves, but they also know next to nothing about this place. Uh, they ask him specifically about the Lady's Heart, uh, the ship that the Wanty giant snake lady escaped in, and Brenneth Dorwin, the guy who was hired to, whose ship it was that was hired to get them out of there. The Dockmaster tells him that he actually just saw it three days before. Uh, he gives his books a once-over and finds that the, the ship had sailed for Renal Cape just two weeks prior, returned, and has now set sail for Halas. Uh, sadly, the, the party, demonstrating their lack of intelligence, doesn't know a lick about history or geography, so this tells them next to nothing. Because it doesn't give them a single hint about, you know, what's there, what they could be looking for, not a thing. All the Dockmaster can say is that the place is in the far north, and it's pretty chilly up that way. And he doesn't remember any large crates or containers leaving the ship while it was docked there. Now, having exhausted their interrogation about the giant snake lady that the group's been tracking, the subject turns to the plague. They're trying to figure out when did it start, how did it start, you know, where's it at? And the dockmaster, again, doesn't know a whole lot there. He He's mostly down there on the docks being the dockmaster. Uh, what he does know is that uh, quarantines haven't really worked in stemming the outbreak. The local clerics, they're doing their best, you know, they're able to heal and treat people, but the sheer number of people who have been infected by now, they're just overwhelming the resources of the local clergy. Uh, the constabularies um, are running around trying to keep things from breaking out completely. Uh, several bands of adventurers have been hired to also lend a hand. And from what the dockmasters heard, uh, the plague originally broke out in the merchant quarter, which has pretty much been put, down, put on lockdown at this point. Uh, when they ask him about a good church to go visit for you know, a seance to talk to the dwarf corpse that they're lugging around in a wheelbarrow. Uh, he recommends a church of Heronius to the north, in the northern part of town, which is fortunate since Heronius, that's the guy that Cecil worships, so got a personal connection there. 
So on the way to the church of Erroneus, uh, they decide to drop off Iron Fist's body for a few preparations before they go speak to the cleric and have the seance performed so they can figure out whether or not Dane Iron Fist actually wants to be resurrected or not. And while they're doing that, while they're waiting for that to, to happen, the sheet tracks down a taxidermist at, because she's been lugging around this uh, this bugbear skull that she decapitated ever since you know they finished killing off that that band of monsters on the road here. Uh, she contracts she, initially she wants the taxidermist to shrink down the bugbear skull so she can put it onto the hilt of her sword. You now have you know a really cool addition to it. But you know as the taxidermist talks, it's you know. He says it'll take a couple days for the to make it work, and it's not going to be it's not going to fit that great onto the sword because of how the shrinkage. So Vashit changes her mind, decides she wants it to be made into a belt instead, and Taxidermist says, "Sure, no problem." After, and then Vashit says, "Thanks, Jimbo," christening the poor man whose name is definitely not Jimbo, as Jimbo. That's Vashit for you. Now while they're now. Now, now, once they're done with the, with the taxidermist, they make their way to, well, yeah. So they finish up with the taxidermist. They make their way to the church, and you know, talk with talk with the cleric about what they need for what what he'll need for to get the seance going on. And he says, okay, well, you know, we can definitely do that. It'll cost it. Well, we, we they do ask for a a donation of about ninety gold pieces. You know, Cecil says, sure, no problem. Happy to, to do that in exchange for great services from the clergy. And Vashit and Moonstar, they realize that they, you know, actually need the body of, <laughs> of Dane Iron Fist in order to talk with him. So they rush back, uh, retrieve the body, and brings, it, brings him back. Uh, now, one of the rules of the seance and of the spell that the cleric casts on, on the body is that they only get five questions to ask him within ten minutes. And basically... It's, you know, they ask him, you know, how's it feel waiting in line to meet his god? Because apparently the god Ula that Iron Fist worshipped in his mortal form, uh, basically when you die, you're stuck in line for a really, really, really long time until you actually get to meet your god. Uh, he says he feels a little nervous. And they ask, you know, do you want to be resurrected? He says, maybe. They ask him again. He says he's not sure. And they say... We're running out of questions here, pal. You really, really need to, to answer. Uh, the fir first part of that was Fishy talking. Second half was Cecil talking. Finally, finally, Dane Iron Fist says, no, he does not want to be resurrected. He wants to go on to meet his god. And, you know, the spell ends. You know, Iron Fist is no longer communicative because he's just a corpse. And the par party decides not to resurrect their friend. And thus is the end of Dane Iron Fist. After taking a moment of silence to honor their fallen comrade, Cecil speaks a little bit further with the cleric, asking about the plague and its origin. The, the cleric is happy to share. Um, he says, from what they, from their study of the plague, it's not magical in origin, so it's a natural disease of some sort. Uh, they suspect that it's spread by air because quarantining the water, water supply has had no effect. And this isn't a disease that cannot be healed. It, it certainly can. But the problem is simply the rapid spread of the disease. It's it spread out so quickly, and so many people have have contracted it that the clergy simply don't have the resources to treat you know everyone that comes through their door. Uh, they ask the they ask the cleric about Brenneth Dor Doran if they recognize the name. He does not, and you know basically being out of options to and conversation pieces for 
the for the poor priest. Uh, they wish him well and leave the, and leave the church. Now, as they're leaving, Vashit and Moonstar are kind of whispering off to the side, and they and they, and they ask Cecil, "Well, what do you think we should do with uh, you know with Iron Fist's body now?" And Cecil says, "Well, you know, according to my beliefs, you know, once his spirit has left his vest, left his body, it's you know simply a body. It's you know." Kind of a meat suit, really. And they say, great, because we have a wonderful idea to honor him. And they return back to the taxidermist that Vashita contracted to make the bugbear helmet, bugbear skull into a belt. And they ask him to, you know, to basically stuff Iron Fist's body. Uh, the, the taxidermist, Jimbo, as Vashi called him, is not open to this at all. <laughs> uh, he, you know, does not has no wish or care or even a little bit of curiosity on working on the body of a sentient being. Uh, and he politely but strongly tells him to go look with a mortician instead. Uh, before they do that, you know, while they're on the road, they realize that they don't just want to hand over a body with a bunch of armor and weapons and stuff on him. So they strip him of all of his gear, split up the money equally, sell his gear, and split up all the money equally. And as they're, as they're about to make their way to the mortician in town, uh, Vashid and Moonstar realize, hey, wait a second. We just went too high class here. We just need to find a taxidermist of ill repute. You know, they do a little bit of asking around, and they find a guy that'll do the job. And with Moonstar handling, handling the negotiations. Uh, taxidermist, he doesn't really care. He'll, he's, he's a taxidermist of ill repute. He does weird stuff all the time. Um, he does, however, ask if... Uh, ask Moonstar if he if they want him to keep the penis tattoo that is uh, that is on top of Dane Iron Fist's forehead. Uh, Moonstar and Vashit laugh and say yes, and they gladly split the cost, paying two hundred gold pieces each. Uh, Cecil, while he may not you know particularly think that you know dead bodies are holy or anything like that, he's not interested in stuffing a you know a, a fallen comrade with whatever taxidermist stuffed them with. So he doesn't he doesn't chip in. Uh, the the taxidermist tells him it'll take him about a week to do all the work. Uh, they say fine, uh, and then they do ask him about Brynith Doran to see if he might you know have any connection with him. Uh, to their to their luck, the taxidermist does know him and has actually done some work for for him in the past. He even gives him directions to the guy's house. Uh, Vashit and Moonstar ask him to uh, one last thing on the body there. They want they want him to make Iron Fist eyes removable. They don't say why. They just want to. They think it'd be fun. So once they once they've wrapped up uh, things there with the taxidermist, they decide to go get some food, and they get salty pork and dwarven stout in Iron Fist's honor. Now they they don't know this, but from up above, Iron, Dane Iron Fist looks down from from his heavenly line in the sky, and he's happy with their choice of food. Uh, the group exchanges backstories to get to know each other a little bit better because in all the running around, you know, killing cultists and lizard monsters and, you know, things like that and trying to assassinate the previous benefactors, they've kind of forgotten why they're all together in the first place. Now, Cecil, you know, he's looking for a redemption for himself because in his past life as a dark knight for his for his home kingdom, he did some pretty nasty things to people. He was not a nice guy to be around. Um, he's since seen the light, reformed himself, which is why he became a paladin. And, you know, he's looking to balance the scales for all the terrible things he did in the past. Moonstar, though, 
he's looking to accomplish something epic uh, because as a child he met a folk hero with his father that inspired him and you know he's looking to live up to that example and Vashit well poor Vashit was basically programmed with the most tragic backstory of all her parents were killed her mentor was killed and now she's looking for whoever killed her father and just wants to make money uh, they start, you know, they decided their group is going to need a name if they're going to be do something epic that Moonstar wants, but also wants to infi- inspire fear and, you know, create a reputation that Vashit wants. And Cecil, he's just cool with doing whatever the group does because he doesn't care that much. So they workshop a few names, you know, like the Chandrian, the Amir, but they're really concerned about being able to make a really great song out of it because their line of thinking is, the more the the easier it is to sing a song about them, the faster tales of their of their epicness will spread. Uh, they don't come to a to a settled name yet, but they are able to get free room and board at the Crooked Lantern, uh, and be, because Cecil heal he is able to heal several of the innkeeper's cousins from the plague, you know because he's a paladin and he's got healing powers. The next morning they all wake up. They haven't contracted the plague. I mean, that doesn't say much for Cecil, because as a paladin, he's immune to diseases. Yeah, so it's a nice perk. Uh, they grab some food downstairs, and they decide to set out to find a tailor to get a to get a wrap for Vashit to cover her face to better protect her from the airborne plague spores, since, you know, the water in quarantine really hasn't done anything to, to stop the spread. Fortunately, they're able to find a tailor pretty quickly and secure, you know, good covering, scarf, hijab, type thing for Vashit to make her look both fashionable but understated but also functional against breathing in plague spores all at the same time. It's a very versatile piece of clothing. Now the they've decided to head out. They check out Brenneth Dorian's home and they take a look around. Vashit Moonstar, they're more on the paranoid, paranoid side and they spot some faint but definite goblin tracks all around the house. Cecil sadly, is as as oblivious as usual, despite his good heart, and completely misses the tracks and has to be told about them and quite literally pointed out to him. Uh, Cecil Moonstar, they go to knock on the front door while Vashit sneaks around the back, but she doesn't really find anything there. No one answers the door, but while Mo- Cecil and Moonstar are waiting at the front, Vashit, you know, looks through the window in the back and sees that the place has been ransacked and, you know, she logically thinking that must have been the goblins because goblins are evil and they do ransacking like crazy. Moonstar tries the doorknob, but it's locked. Uh, Vashit coming around, she tries her hand at picking the lock. Moonstar and Cecil, you know, run cover, trying to nonchalantly hang out a uh, a forest druid and a paladin knight in a super sketchy part of town. So, yeah, they're very inconspicuous. Fortunately, Vashit's able to pick the lock pretty fast and quickly sneaks in just to take a look around before bringing the rest of the group in. Uh, inside the place, it's, you know, again, ransacked. Everything, paper strewn everywhere, furniture turned over, uh, you know, uh, couches and pillows, uh, you know, cut open. Obviously, people were looking for stuff. Uh, she, but she doesn't see anybody in there, so she brings calls in Moonstar and Cecil. And, you know, as they spread out, look around, they find that the study in the house is the most messed up room in the place. Uh, you know, they find a lot of papers or a lot of documents indicating a lot of illegal stuff, but, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, you know, illegal transport, smuggling, that sort of stuff. 
Uh, Moonstar, however, however, is kind of perceptive. He notices a, a, some odd squeaking underneath one of the floorboards and is able to lift it up, finds a small box underneath it, but anticlimactically, it's empty. Uh, so they figure, you know, whatever the goblins are looking for, they found it. Uh, so they take another look around, don't find anything else that can help them out. So the group sneaks out and, and leave the place. Uh, they decide to head head back to the docks. Maybe they can figure out what the you know when these goblins came to town because goblins are pretty noticeable. You know, in this part of uh, the area, they're not exactly the most well. In most areas, they're not exactly the most welcome uh, welcome creatures. Uh, they track down the dockmaster they spoke with earlier. Uh, he says that a ship called the Devil's Tail brought brought in a crew of goblins recently, about two and a half weeks ago. Um, his best guess, they probably found lodging in some rundown shanty places on the, you know, one of the sketchier parts of town. You know, a place maybe like the, the owl's carcasses, because they always have amazing names like that. Uh, he does say that the Devil's Tail has not left port yet, and he, you know, points out to them, gives them directions to how to crisscross the, the, ma the, the maze of the port there. Uh, and bef But before they go, Moonstar asks about the sewer system, just curious to see if it, if full-size people would be able to get around on it. Uh, the Dockmaster, he hasn't personally been under there, but, you know, he thinks it could be. Uh, Cecil, you know, not wanting to leave him hanging for all the you know, great information that he's provided, tips the Dockmaster a gold piece and, you know, expresses his, his something. Appreciation. Yes, that's what he's, that's what he's trying to express. Now, the trio, they set out, you know, they, they follow the Dockmaster's directions, weave their way through the very busy port there, and they find the Devil's Tail. A few dockhands are, you know, out and about, maintaining it, scrubbing off barnacles, that kind of stuff. And it's pretty hard to miss the, you know, Cecil, uh, Vashid, and Moonstar, you know, trumbling up. Mostly because of Cecil, because his shiny armor you know, kind of shines. <laughs> and, it's, and he doesn't walk quietly either, because of his armor. Uh, they talk to one of the dockhands, and they say, yeah, you know, the captain, he's out and about, you know, probably at a, at a bordello enjoying himself while he's still here. Uh, they, you know, the, the dockhand says that they did bring in about a dozen goblins when they came to town, and that somebody else paid their way. Uh, the first mate uh, would probably know. And he says, yeah, the dockhand says, yeah, Jameson there, he's probably in the merchant district trying to rustle up some business because everyone's kind of jonesing to leave. Uh, they flip the dockhand a silver piece for his time and uh, and skedaddle. Now at this point they decide to head for the merchant district. They figure if they can track down the first mate here, Jameson, they might be able to get some more information about these goblins, why they're there, what they're looking for. And as they arrive at the merchant district, they find that it's really pretty busy, kind of like the port, you know, even with a plague going on. Uh, they start asking around for Jameson and say that they're looking for some cargo that needs to be transported. And as they're going around talking with different merchants, uh, they spot someone that, you know, kind of looks sailor-ish, if that's a term. I don't know what sailors look like in a fantasy setting, so, I mean, I guess they don't wear armor, but besides that, like clothing, tunics, boots, swords, rapiers, I don't know. Uh, so they so they spot, they spot who they think is Jameson and start talking to him. For whatever reason, Moonstar, I guess he's still, you know, he's still feeling pretty, pretty shook up over the death of of Dane Iron Fist. You know, realizing that his epic journey, you know, might not be all, you know, adventures and 
you know, in craziness. And, you know, immediately mentions, you know, the death of their, the dwarven friend, uh, which makes things super awkward. Uh, Jameson says, oh, okay, I'm sorry for your loss. And Vashit, in her, <laughs> in her usual indirect way, tries to salvage the situation and say that they were actually lovers, which confuses Jameson even more. But, you know, he's kind of a live and let live kind of fellow. Uh, Bashid says, hey, we're looking for a ride to Capbrook. And Jameson says, great, I can make that happen. Uh, you know, they bring up the goblins, uh, you know, say that, they, yeah, we heard that, uh, you know, you guys might have brought in some goblins recently. Jameson says, yeah, they were a hassle, but, you know, they were paid super well and, and paid extra not to know, you know, not to know their benefactor's name. All I could say is that he was a pale fellow, brown robe, scratched himself a lot. You know, sketchy, sketchy character all around. Uh, but he did say that they did transport them from a town called Copperton. Uh, not not the nicest place to, to be at. Lots of mercenaries, hired hands down there. And the goblins mentioned something about a safe house somewhere in the south end of town. And, in fact, the goblins paid the, paid the ship extra once as they were getting close to the to Port Azuath to, to keep them in town to transport them after their business was concluded. But the fact was, it's been two and a half weeks in a plague town, you know, with, with the plague that kills people and yeah they're they're looking for any reason to leave by this point the sheet says okay well we'll be in touch you know we've got a few things to do in town but you know it will definitely look you up if we need to ride out of here and james says, says great but we will not be waiting around here so you know no guarantees that if we, if we come back in a few you know a few days that he'll still be there So the group immediately heads south to see if they can find the goblins. And about an hour later, they find themselves in the warehouse district. Uh, they decide to stop at a CD bar along the way because CD bars have all the best gossip and information. And as Moonstar and Cecil get seated in a booth, Vashik goes to the bar, starts asking about the goblins with the bartender. Uh, the bartender says, you know, yeah, there's, you know, he's seen several over the past few couple weeks, and they've actually been coming in and out of the warehouse just across the street. Uh, but she uh, returns to the booth with their drinks and fills in Cecil and Moonstar about what she's learned. Now, at the same time, in the bar, um, a giant dragonborn fighter, you know, big, you know, big creature like all dragonborn are. You know, this, you know, this guy's like six and a half feet tall, covered in scales, definitely weighs at least three hundred pounds. You know, pr pretty, pretty hefty fellow. Um, now, the, uh, this dragonborn fighter. You know, overhears you know this female elf monk talking with the barkeep about goblins in the area, and then you know follows her, you know watches her as she goes back to meet up with a druid and a paladin. And as it happens, this dragonborn fighter has been hired by, well, let's not mince words, a super racist person in Copperton to hunt down and kill all the goblins that that left there and came to to Port Azuroth. He decides to approach them and you know see if he can what he can gain from them now moonstar and Vashid, they're a little bit more socially savvy and they give fake names uh rick uh, well moonstar says his name is rick Vashid says her name is phil and cecil being good kind-hearted oblivious cecil gives his real name uh, the dragonborn uh you know while a little bit suspicious you know is under understand that understands that they are in a seedy bar and so things aren't always as they seem and he gives his name as Myaston Gesh, 
and that he goes by Gash. He explains he's been hired to kill goblins, and he overheard Vashit's conversation with the barkeep, and he wants to join them in eliminating the goblins, because as much as he loves going through the, going through and doing things single-handedly, he he gets the feeling that this particular group of goblins might might be more to them than uh than he they knows, and he could use the extra bodies, at least just meat shields. Now Vashit on her end is suspicious because, you know random dragonborn guy hanging out in a CD bar decides to offer his help. Yeah, that's that's a little sketch. So she and Moonstar decide to to slip out and go check out the warehouse across the street. You know, the one the barkeep said uh, he'd been noticing the goblins coming in and out of. So in the meantime, Cecil, you know, is basically interviewing this <laughs> this hulking, uh, you know, dra humanoid dragon creature. And he explains that you know they're you know they're each seeking their own fortune and you know trying to find their way in life and they each have their own goals with their quests but they've decided to work together for the time being and you know explains that okay well if you're getting paid for killing goblins you know if some of us kill goblins we should get that that pay and as it happens a racist person is paying by the ear you know as proof and Cecil says, well, the real goal is actually to gain information about what these goblins are doing here. But, you know, once they get the information, they don't care about the goblins after that, and Gesh is welcome to kill them. Uh, Gesh, you know, is very honest and, you know, feels he can be very blunt with this good-natured paladin that's just so open. And explains that he's just basically driven by money. And he can tell that they're successful adventurers by the quality of their gear and the way they comport themselves. And Cecil does confirm that, yes, money does tend to find them. So Gesh is looking happy with this. And Cecil, you know, while he's not exactly enamored by essentially a money-hungry you know, dra humanoid dragon monster, you know, he, he, they, they, are down a, they are down a man in their group and could use the extra muscle in this job. Meanwhile, outside, uh, Vashit and Moonstar, they're sneaking around the warehouse and, you know, don't really hear anything out of the ordinary. Moonstar casts a spell, turns into a rat uh, to sneak into the warehouse and get a look around. While in the meantime, Vashit decides to uh, play lookout and kind of parkours her way up up to the roof there, and thankfully manages to not not biff it at, at any step along the way and makes it up there gracefully. Uh, Moonstar he sneaks inside as a rat and he's able to spy out you know a lot of large blankets that are covering larger items in the warehouse there. He hears some scuffling underneath him, he, and as he's moving around, he notices a stonework that actually reminds him of the, the demon portal that they found underneath Renal Keep in the Thieves' Guild underground. Now, he's not sure if it's the same one that, that was there or not, but, you know, it's definitely one that catches, it's definitely something that catches his attention. And as he's still looking around, he notices that there are a lot of these barrels that have some weird mucus leaking out of them. And he's not sure what it is, but, you know, from his rat senses, he can tell it's not anything good. And as he's moving around and still scouting out the area, Moonstar notices that some goblins are milling about, maybe about five of them. Uh, he heads out the way he came and transforms in the alleyway outside of the warehouse. He looks up and uh, and spots Vashit, who she looks down and spots him as well. And she decides to parkour, parkour her way down the alleyway, bouncing off you know walls between the, the, the walls of the warehouse and the next building. And again, she gets really lucky here with her dice rolls and manages not to biff it and, you know, Take some, take some hit point damage. Uh, Moonstar, once once Vashit gets down, explains 
you know, what he saw there about what he thinks is a demon portal, some weird mucus, and, uh, and a gaggle of goblins. And personally, he's, his, his suspicion is that the mucus is the source of the plague that's attacking the city. Uh, now, Vashid Moonstar, they get out of there, they get back to the CD bar. Um, Cecil, he gives Gesh the, the nod. But the problem is the Dragonborn fighter is kind of getting greedy and doesn't want to share his reward. You know, he just, he's really stubborn about this. He thinks it's his money. He doesn't care if he gets help with it. He wants to get all the money for himself. You know, he's kind of selfish like that. Uh, Vashid starts playing hardball, saying that they know the layout of this warehouse. They know where the goblins are at. And, but you know, this just makes Vashid just, not not Vashid, Gesh, just really suspicious. He doesn't get people to do things for free up front. Uh, finally, after some negotiating, they say, all right, we'll do a four-way split in their reward. Um, they decide that, you know, they'll return to the church of Heronius to get some money for what they're going to do and, you know, to try to get a reward out of the the clergy and the city city government. So they so they go back to the, the church at the, that they'd gone to earlier, one where they, you know, spoke with uh, their dead friend, Dane Iron Fist. And the cleric says, yes, you know, a reward could be gathered if they were able to halt the spread of the, the plague. Moonstar gives a five gold piece donation. And the cleric says that, you know, he'll arrange a meeting in about four hours for them with, you know, some of the, the local government leaders. And, you know, it's kind of dicey because it is getting pretty late in the day here. So the party heads back to the warehouse and Vashi takes a look around outside, can't find anything. Um, Moonstar decides to scout ahead here, you know, turns into a rat, sneaks in. And he notices that the goblins are milling around downstairs, and they're probably and there's actually more than there were before. Uh, he waits till they're all come together, turns back into his you know half elf form, and decides to conjure a saber toothed tiger in their midst, because he can do that now. Yay! Now at this point, you know Moonstar can actually can't actually see what's happening downstairs because. You know, there's that whole floor underneath that's blocking his view. But, you know, he can hear the saber-toothed tiger, you know, you know, a lot of growling, a lot of, you know, cries of surprise, followed by some cries of pain from the goblins, you know. He can tell that there's definitely a lot, you know, uh, the goblins are, one, surprised, and two, uh, not in a good mood because they're getting, you know, slashed up by a saber-toothed tiger. Um <clears throat> And, you know, after a few moments, you know, they, you know, hear some bodies dropping, getting knocked down, and they hear some sword, he hears some swords being drawn, you know, hacking away at the saber-toothed tiger, and finally hears the scream of the saber-toothed tiger as it, as it dies, which in this case, since it's a summoned creature, just kind of disappears. Now, just outside the doors of the, of the warehouse there, Gesh, with his attuned ears as a dragonborn, hears the, hears the saber-toothed tiger screaming as it dies, promptly smashes in the door and just starts running in, you know, and spots Moonstar pointing towards the, the stairwell that's at the other corner of the of the warehouse, and, you know, starts heading that way. Cecil, you know, is able to race past him, but she, you know, is running even faster, and Moonstar starts following Cecil because he wants, you know, a, a good meat shield of armor and body, you know, blocking him, you know, protecting him. Uh, casts a quick enhanced ability spell on on the paladin just to give him a little bit of extra beefy uh beefiness uh yeah beefy resolution sure and you know you know to help give him an advantage in the combat to come uh 
Uh, they hear some shuffling around downstairs, but again, they can't see the goblins through the floorboards, so they have no idea what's going on. Uh, now the warriors, they keep charging ahead. Gesh runs ahead some more. Cecil's able to outpace them. Casts Shield of Faith on himself to make him that much harder to hit. And he actually makes it down the staircase about halfway down. Again, Cecil is not known for his intelligence. He he is a very well-intentioned, uh, you know, paladin who's trying to make up for a, a past of evil deeds. But this gets him in trouble sometimes. Like in this case, where he gets halfway down the stairwell, only to find that all the goblins downstairs, there's about eight of them, have arranged themselves in kind of a, you know, a semi-lunar orientation towards the staircase and finds, you know, eight javelins being chucked at him at the same time. <laughs> Fortunately, Cecil, he's pretty sharp with a sword and a shield and pretty good at dodging. He's able to whack most of the javelins away with his, with his sword and his shield, but, you know, two of the javelins still get through and are able to, to graze him and give him a couple of good gashes. And at this point, Vashit runs to the top of the stairs and stops, realizing that you know, there's a bunch of javelins sticking out of the, the steps there and, <laughs> you know, and sees that, you know, the paladin is bleeding now. Uh, Moonstar is able to find a gap in one of the floorboards upstairs. Is able to see down into into the bottom level and is able to conjure up four black bears onto that floor below behind the goblins. And now he, he's not able to really see very much beyond that. He could see that, you know, there's a little bit of wrestling around of some black bears. And that, but he is rewarded by hearing, you know, several goblins, you know, screaming in pain, no doubt being mauled by, by the bears. You know, Cecil's, you know, he sees, you know, four giant, you know, four ginormous black bears appear and just, you know, going to town on these, you know, small, short little goblins. And, you know, he's very grateful for it because it means that, you know, not all the goblins are ganging up and trying to attack him. Unfortunately, because there's, well, there's seven goblins and one hobgoblin that's apparently the leader. Unfortunately, that means that there's, you know, the, the goblins still outnumber the bears and Cecil. Uh, so while five of the goblins turn around to take care to keep the bears busy, the hobgoblin and two, two of the smaller regular sized goblins, they surround Cecil at the stairwell and start attacking him, ganging up on him. Now the hobgoblin, he's, you know, he's a pretty big guy. You know, he's able to take a few swipes at the, the paladin. You know, Cecil's able to block one of them with a shield, but two more of the of his shots get through, you know, cutting through his armor, you know, making him bleed a bit. The other two goblins, they try, they try taking a, a couple of swipes at him, but, you know, they're pretty small, and honestly, Cecil can handle regular-sized goblins any day of the week, even if he's asleep, and, you know, just, you know, is able to dodge their blows completely. Now, uh, now Cecil, you know, trying to make the best of a very bad situation that he put himself in, uh, he's able to cast Divine Smite, and you know, is able to on a sword and is able to strike at the hobgoblin with some, you know, uh, di, you know, divine help there. And then he, you know, makes a beeline to get back up the the steps there. And the hobgoblin, you know, he doesn't doesn't miss a beat. He's able to swing his swing his shield and smash it across Cecil's face as he's going up. Now Cecil, he, you know, he's off balance for half a second, but he's able to catch his footing, gets back up the stairs, and gets back up to the upper floor there. You know, but you know, but his face is still pretty well bruised from uh <laughs> from that blow, and uh, guess he he falls back a little bit, so he's lined up with Cecil there, you know, on the upper warehouse floor, and Vashit she decides to move to the top of the stairwell and starts throwing darts at the large at the hobgoblin, um, 
doesn't really do anything because they're just darts. They're not even poison darts or particularly sharp darts. And instead just kind of flips the goblins off and then runs back towards Moonstar. <laughs> um, in the meantime, Moonstar, you know, he just, you know, has the bears keep on going and uh, keep on going after the goblins downstairs. Unfortunately, he, you know, he's not able to see very much through that crack in the floorboards. Um, he can tell from one of the you know, roars of the of the bears that it sounds like the goblins have been able to kill one of them, and then and then another one falls, um, <clears throat> and but it does sound like at least one of the goblins from the shrieks has died as well. Uh, now at this point, the hobgoblin and his two little goblin bodyguards have come up the stairs, and. You know they're able to. They're all able to chuck a bunch of javelins at Moonstar, and about three of them hit. Unfortunately, the druid he's just not as nimble, or well, definitely not nowhere near as well armored as Cecil is. So Moonstar, he's he's in a bad way now. He's not doing too hot, uh, you know, because he's <laughs> gotten a, a a lot of good chunks of himself taken out by you know some very large javelins. Uh, Cecil, he's able to go up to one of the smaller goblins in front of him, able to hit him with Divine Smite. You know, the goblin's not in a good way, but, you know, he's still on his feet. Guest joins in and attacks a small gob, uh, small, another one, the other goblin that came up that's behind the first goblin. Hits him with a good slash, still hasn't, you know, taken him out, though. Fashit, you know, she doesn't like taking crap from anybody, rushes the hobgoblin and attacks him, you know, trying to knock him down so they can, you know, because they figure, hey, this is probably the leader. They got. They can't kill him quite yet. They need to just knock him out. They need to tear game later. Unfortunately, the hobgoblin, you know, he's able to stay on his feet. He's got good balance. But Vashit, you know, she's able to hack at him with her, you know, with her sword. Able to punch him a bit. So he's not looking so hot now either. Uh, downstairs, you hear some more roaring from the bears. Some more shrieks from the goblins. Um, now you can tell all the goblins are not having a good time. Uh, Moonstar casts some healing, you know, heals himself a little bit, and then runs back towards the front door. <laughs> he he doesn't want to get hit by javelins again. Um, you know, here's a couple more roars from downstairs. It sounds like two more of the bears are dead. It sounds like there's just one moving around there now. Um, and again, up you know, back upstairs here, you know, a couple of the smaller goblins, you know, flank Gesh, you know, hack him up a bit. And then the hobgoblin joins in, and you know, guess was not looking so hot after getting hacked up pretty good. And now Cecil, he uh, he decides to you know go after one of the goblins that's flanking Gesh. He's able to attack tw attack twice, you know, with his with his sword, and it completely slices the goblin into pieces. This thing is it's dead. It, it's you know chopped goblin. I don't know if they have curry in this in this universe or not, but it's very very dead. Um, now Gesh, he's bleeding. You know, is you know it's it's messing with his vision. He's having a hard time keeping his footing. He tries to attack this the other goblin that's near him, but he just he botches it. it, it his blow just goes wide, gets nothing. Um, he's able to you know give him you know uh, heal himself a little bit. And he's able to take a step back a little bit, try to get some distance between him and you know the goblin that's trying to get after him. But she, she decides to stay focused on the strategic ob objective here at the Hobgoblin. Tries knocking him down, but again, this guy just doesn't want, just want, doesn't want to go down. Um, she swings at him, you know, with the flat side of her sword, just trying to knock him down that way. 
you know, does some damage to the guy. This hobgoblin is not, again, not doing too well. He's bleeding, he's bruised, but he's still on his feet. Uh, Moonstar, in the meantime, you know, he keeps on sending, sending you know, attack commands down to the his black bear, but, you know, doesn't hear a death scream or anything. He, you know, the goblins downstairs are definitely not happy, but it doesn't sound like the bear's been able to kill any more of them. Um, <clears throat> so instead, he decides to cast Moonbeam on the on the one small goblin uh, that's still that's still up there, you know, uh, gar- helping guard the hobgoblin. Uh, the small goblin gets fried a bit, but he's still alive. He's got some burns on him, but he still is able to attack Gash, while the hobgoblin goes after Vashit, and well, you know, they get chewed up pretty well. Uh, Cecil he tries taking a, a couple swings at the small goblin, but unfortunately luck is not with him. Heronius is not smiling, you know, smiling down on him. Does not have his favor right now, and misses both both of his swings. Uh, Gesh, however, is able to turn his attention to the goblin that keeps on coming after him. Won't take the hint, and just chops uh, chops the the goblin in two. Uh, this leaves the hobgoblin as a lone as the, uh, the last man standing here upstairs. And she's able to beat the crap out of him and is able to knock him out for interrogation. Doesn't kill him, but he's definitely not feeling too hot. And, you know, with uh, upstairs secure, she quickly runs downstairs and finds that the other goblins have fled. Uh, nah, but however, as she, you know, there because there's a big tunnel that's been carved in, the, in one of the walls there. Um, she runs to the entrance and just in time to see a giant black bear butt. Um running away like crazy and you know she can't can't really see down it too, uh can't see down it too well but she does hear you know some uh some roaring some screaming that sound like a bear roaring and you know goblin screaming um and from what and from her best guess she thinks that the bear was able to chew up and kill one of the goblins before the, the other one killed it the bear that is and she turns around she sees that okay there's two more goblin bodies here on the floor so, you know, based on, you know, the, the number count here, looks like one of the goblins was able to get away before, you know, from them. Uh, the group decides not to, uh, not to pursue them through the tunnel because one, they're all pretty beat up, and two, they have no idea where this is going, and three, you know, they want to take a look at this warehouse first and see what, what's up here. And fourth, they also have a, a live hobgoblin upstairs that they need to interrogate. So Moonstar, he lays his immovable rod on the hobgoblin that'll keep him in place. And, you know, they go through, they check out the, the goblin corpses, get some gear, you know, find whatever money they can, find some decent stuff that they can, uh, that they can sell, and, you know, split up between among them, amongst themselves. Now, at this point, they realize that, you know, they have to do some thinking, which, again, is not the script's strong point. They have a little powwow, the four of them, and they say, okay, some of us need to go meet up and go to the meeting that the cleric set up for them with, you know, the city government, try to work out some kind of a payment plan for themselves for all the work that they just did. But they also need some people to stay back here and secure the warehouse and stand guard on the hobgoblin and, you know, interrogate him a bit to figure out whatever they can from him. After some hemming and hawing, Cecil and Moonstar decide to go to the to the parliamentary bu- building for the meeting, while Vashit and Gesh stay behind the stand guard over the warehouse and the hobgoblin, who is still unconscious. So Cecil and Moonstar they make their way to, to the parliamentary. Poly- man, that's a stupid word. Uh, government place. 
Uh, it takes them about an hour to get there, walking in the middle of the night, and they find that three members of the parliament have shown up. It's not the full par- parliament, but it, it is also the middle of the night. Uh, so they're less than happy about being roused, roused at this late hour. But Cecil and Moonstar inform them about their work, about you know discovering the source of the plague, finding out that, that goblins were behind it, and that they've more or less taken care of the problem. Now, members of parliament, you know, being government people who don't like anything good happening that they can't get credit for, uh, they're less than happy about vigilantes operating inside the city, but they also understand, hey, these guys may have also just saved the city. So they can't be that pissed off at them, but they can still be kind of grumpy. Um, but they are really happy to hear that the group has captured a prisoner for interrogation, which they wa- definitely want to have turned over to the constabulary as soon as possible. And they said that they'd send, you know, send some of their officers to go secure the warehouse, and that they'd also work out some sort of an appropriate compensation package for their their good work. So Moonstar and Cecil they they head out, satisfied that they've worked out what they what they set out to do, and they start heading out back to the warehouse. At the same time, you know, back at the warehouse with Vashit and Gesh, Vashit has hogtied the, the goblin with you know his hands and arms behind his back and tells Gesh to get downstairs with a torch to watch the tunnel so that, you know, a small horde of goblins don't try to come out. Gesh, however, is a pansy about it. I mean, for a dragonborn that's six and a half feet tall and weighs well over 300 pounds, you think this guy would be be a little bit tougher and a little bit braver, but he's not. He um, picks a fight with, Vash- with Vashid saying, hey, you know, you can see in the dark, why don't you go do it? And Vashid says, I'm watching the prisoner. I'm going to try to interrogate him. You think you could do that? You just want to cut, cut his ear off and then cut his head off. And she basically, this 300 pound, six and a half foot tall dragonborn creature backs down to a five foot two she elf. Yeah. So Vashit, you know, after sending Gesh down to go check on the basement, she slaps the goblin to wake him up, but that does nothing. She, te- she checks his pulse just to make sure he's alive, which he is. Uh, she tries dumping some water on him, but still no luck. And you know, finally it occurs to her that, okay, this guy's bleeding out from multiple places. He's got bruises, broken ribs, and you know whatever else uh, hobgoblins have. So you know she, she takes out a potion of healing, but decides to check with Gesh first to see if he's got one. He's come back upstairs at this point and says he doesn't have one, which... You know, showing how useful this guy is, really. Um, <clears throat> Gesh, you know, brings up again. He wants to start. He wants to chop off the hobgoblin's ear just to add to his proof. But Vashit says no. We need, <laughs> we need this guy around to interrogate first. Let's wait till we're done with him, then cut off his ear. And again, just through sheer force of personality, Vashit's able to make the dragonborn back down. Um, she tells she tells him to come over, you know, to give her a hand with with hobgoblin. She gives the the goblin a potion of healing, you know, enough to wake him up, but not enough to make him a threat. And the hobgoblin, lo and behold, wakes up, and still looks looks like hell. Uh, but she immediately starts interrogating the, this poor guy, and says, you know, hey, what's up with all this mu- mucus crap? And you know, he, you know, uh, speaking is obviously not his forte. But he, you know, he's able to say, "Oh, this stuff makes people sick," and you know, but she asks him what it, what would happen if she got it on him, and he said, "Yeah, I'll probably get sick too." Um, you know, keeps interrogating him, 
He says they got paid by their boss in Copperton. They're tunneling to get to the city square because the plague wasn't spreading fast enough in the city and that they were supposed to set up the stonework there. Now, from what he knew, other teams were doing the exact same thing in other towns in the area. And Vashid asks how many goblins there are. And goblin doesn't know the hobgoblin doesn't know exactly, but definitely more than two. Naturally, this only pisses off Vashid because <laughs> she, do she doesn't like people who don't tell her what she wants to hear. All, she, all, all I can say is that the, the acolyte that hired him found, his, found the crew for him. And, you know, Vashid keeps pushing this hobgoblin for more information. Literally starts pushing him towards mucus that's been leaking out of these these barrels. You know, keeps pushing for more information. But the hobgoblin, you know, wants money. He wants to get paid. And Vashid, she just gets pissed off. Like, well, more pissed off than she already has been. And just decides to dunk his head in the goop. And, well... As you can expect, it's all downhill from there. The hobgoblin starts vomiting. Vashid tries to give him some water, and he starts choking on that. As she's all out of healing potions. Guess doesn't have any. So, fully pissed off now, she's, she says to have Adam. So Guess, you know, picks up the hobgoblin by his head, slices off his ear, and then stabs him in the heart to put him out of his misery. Vashid goes back downstairs to check out the tunnel, and just to make sure nothing comes out there trying to kill them all. So, that's the end of the, 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 the hobgoblin. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, on their way back from uh, the, the government building, Munster and Cecil are able to flag down a member of the constabulary and, ha and explain to him what they're doing, that they found the source of the plague. They need a few other members, a few other officers to give him a hand. You know, the guy grabs some. They all get back to the warehouse. Constabulary immediately locks down the place, thanks the party for their work. And, you know, Munster and Cecil are less than happy that their prisoner that they just told the parliament about is dead. But, you know, at least they got some information out of him. And, you know, the before the, the party leaves to go get some rest, uh, <clears throat> Moonstar tells the constabulary that they're called the Aimer, and they they will be lodging at the Crooked Lantern if anybody needs their assistance. So they get back to the inn, get a good night's rest, wake, and they wake up in the morning, and who would have guessed that spending time around barrels of mucus that cause a plague uh, Vashit, Moonstar, and Gesh all wake up with said plague. Cecil, of course, being an upstanding paragon of righteousness, doesn't. Because <laughs> he's immune to diseases, because he's awesome like that. If not very smart. So he uses lay on hands on each of them to purify them of the disease. And they're now feeling great. And they're ready to move on with wherever adventure, the, their adventure takes them next. <laughs> 